0: Well, let's turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 and uh, let's pray together, okay? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity that we have this evening to study it together. We look forward to um, what Your Spirit would say to us tonight. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And help us to take these words and apply them to our lives, so that when we leave from here, we'll be changed better than when we came in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen. So, Psalm 18—that's where we're going to start tonight. I'm going to try to make it through Psalm 22. You know, wherever we, whenever we go through a soul-wrenching trial, the way we get through Is really important. It may be that we suck it up and hope that you know we can muster enough eternal, internal strength and fortitude to to overcome the problem or or just see it through until it subsides. But you know, I really think there is a better way. Um, you know, we've been doing it the other way for a while. We've been doing it the suck it up let's get through it way. We've done that a lot in our lives. But there's a better way. And here here it is. I, I believe it's when we find strength in a refuge that is greater than ourselves. We have to be anchored to a rock greater than the trial that we find ourselves in. And the only sure fortress is the rock that is higher than any other rock. And that is, of course, God himself. That's essentially what Psalm 18 is, is all about. It was written towards the end of David's life after he had had plenty of time to reflect on what he had been through all the previous years. He'd fought many battles. He'd faced many enemies. Not always with the courage with which he had faced Goliath in the beginning. There had been many times when he was close to death, but each time God delivered him. So at the end of his life, when other rulers would be writing their memoirs, seeking to exalt their own strength and their own greatness, David instead gives all the credit for his victories to the Lord. We also find, by the way, this same psalm repeated in 2 Samuel 22, with just a few variations. So when we went through Second Samuel 22, we actually covered this psalm, and I think I made mention of uh, the fact at the time that it was also Psalm 18. So this is a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, Lord. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David is telling us that placing his life in the hands of the Lord is far better than hiding behind some man-made fortress or some rock. Notice David uses seven military terms or metaphors to, to picture God's love for him. First of all, he calls him his rock. God is his rock, a foundation of stability and protection. Then his fortress, a high place of refuge and defense when you're under attack. Then his deliverer, a savior in the evil day. Then his strength, a strong defense. Then his shield, a piece of heavy armor to deflect the enemy's arrows and swords. Then the horn of his salvation, speaking about power in battle. The the horn was a symbol of power. And finally, his stronghold, meaning God's care for his servant. Remember, God is all of these things to David. And he's all of these things to us as well. He's he's our fortress. He's our deliverer. He's our strength, our shield, the horn of our salvation. He's our rock. He is our stronghold. And because of all these wonderful things, David is confident that when he calls upon the Lord, he will be saved. Verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Why do we worship God? Is it fun? Is it to get something in return? Is it because we just feel like it? You know, all of those reasons may be reasons why we have worshipped God in the past. But they're not really good reasons. I'm sure you would agree with me. We are to worship God because He is worthy to be praised. He deserves Our praise. The word worship comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, worth. Worth. And so worship is extended to one who is worthy. God is worthy of our praise. The Lord is worthy of our praise. Now David gives the reasons for his rejoicing. He says in verse 4, The pangs of death surrounded me, And the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple. And my cry came before Him, even to His ears. David thought that he'd had it. He figured it was over with. The troops of Saul had poured in. They had surrounded him. It looked like there was absolutely no way out. They had trapped him. They'd caught him in an ambush. So David is sharing some of the experiences he went through with, with King Saul and how God protected him and delivered him from hopeless situations. Do you ever feel a little like that? Like you're in some hopeless situations? Then do what David did and get the results that David got. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple and my cry came before Him even to His ears. God does hear our cry and He answers our prayers. He goes on in verse 7. He says, Then the earth shook and trembled The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, or bowed the heavens also, and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness His secret place. His canopy around Him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before Him, His thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. And the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance. And He vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. To me, this is very cool because it gives us the perspective of heaven after David had cried out to God. This is what's going on in heaven. This is how God is responding to David's cry for help. And although he didn't know it at the time of his trial, all these things were happening in response to his prayer. The language is poetic, colorful, and it may not be intended to be taken literally, but it communicates that when we call upon the Lord in humility and repentance, God hears and a response in heaven begins immediately. This is an awesome description of of the response of God to His servants who are in need when they call upon Him. And it seems like the more hopeless the situation from our perspective, the more vivid the response on God's part. We see earthquakes and fire breathing. God opens the heavens and He comes down in brightness and clouds with hailstones and coals with this thundering voice and these arrows of lightning that scatter And vanquish the enemy. What is happening to the one who trusts in the Lord? God fights for him or her. Now, David doesn't actually see this with his eyes. But somehow, the Lord revealed to him that it was happening. In the spirit. And we can be sure, when we cry out to God, for whatever the need is, for whatever the... The trial is that we're facing. We can be sure that when we cry out to God, He is doing the same for us. When we call upon Him in a similar way as we surrender our wills to His. He goes on in verse 16, "...He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity." But the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. So it was God who delivered David from the deep waters. It was God who delivered him from the strong enemy. It was the Lord who supported him when these enemies confronted David. You've heard the expression, in deeper than you should be, I almost drowned once because I was in deeper water than I should have been in. It was at the beach, Huntington Beach, and we were out there body surfing and and to this day i I honestly I know of no earthly reason why i didn't drown. I was fighting and I was struggling for all I was worth. I got out there in in the deeper waters we had. We had gone out, and then there was a sandbar there, where you know you could you you have to swim out. You can't walk out. But once you get out there, then you can stand up again. And then beyond there is where the waves were breaking. And so we figured we're going to go out now beyond, so we could get some good waves. And uh, before before I knew it, um, I was fighting and I was struggling for all I was worth. But I I was sure that I wasn't making any progress. I mean, I was swimming and I was doing everything that I knew how to do to get back to shore. But it just didn't look like I was getting any closer. You know, I thought to myself, if I could just catch a wave, then maybe the wave will take me in. But the waves were always just crashing on top of me. I'd go down under and then I'd come back up. Just enough time to get a breath and another one would come and crash on top of me. Then all of a sudden, it felt like I was being lifted up and then I was on the sand. I can really identify with verse 16 in a literal sense. Read it again. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. That's pretty much what happened to me. And let me tell you, If God would do it for David and He'd do it for me, surely He'll do it for any of us when our cry comes before Him. Verse 20, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His judgments were before me and I did not put away His statutes from me. I was also blameless before him and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. I don't believe that David is claiming to be perfect here. I, I don't believe that he's saying that he did everything right all his life. Never sinned once and has Therefore, been rewarded by God for living a perfect life. David knows that's not true. He knows better than anybody that it's not true. And uh, certainly, uh, uh, everybody that knew David knew that that wasn't true either. And we know it's not true because we read the historical account. We know of David's sin, right? And certainly, God knew that it wasn't true. So, why would David make a claim of sinless perfection when he knew he could be easily refuted by God and his peers? Answer, he wouldn't. And he didn't. So, then what's he saying? Well, I think simply that the pattern of his life was one who wanted to walk in righteousness. He wanted to refrain from evil. He wanted to keep God's law and he wanted to be blameless. He had devoted himself to following the Lord. And he trusted the Lord to forgive and to restore Him when he failed. He had faith, in other words, in the forgiveness of God and the restoration of God. And so that even before the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, Abraham, we're told, was justified by faith, right? And he was declared... Righteous. And so was David. As well as anybody else who trusted in God at that time. So that when David cried out to God in faith, he knew that his cry was considered by God to be an act of righteousness and worthy of response by God. Because it came in faith. And so God didn't look at his sin... He looked at his faith. And I believe the same is true for us. When we cry out to God in faith, God sees us as his righteous ones who are deserving of his help and his assistance. Of course, our righteousness is not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's it's not really, we don't deserve it because of anything we have done. But because of the righteousness of Christ in us, we deserve it because He deserves it. So, verse 25, he goes on, he says, "...with the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man you will show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure. And with the devious you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks." David sought to be merciful and blameless, pure and humble. And so God dealt with David the way that David wanted to be towards others. God will deal with you according to how you treat others as well. So, what playing field do you want to approach God on? What playing field? If you're devious toward others, then God will be shrewd. That word means astute or penetrating or discerning or perceptive. God will be shrewd towards you. If you're devious towards others, God will be shrewd towards you. If you're haughty, God will bring you down to where you should be. He'll take you off of that platform that you put yourself on and He'll bring you down into the real world. So, what playing field do you want to approach God on? The playing field of mercy, and grace, forgiveness, or the playing field of pride and haughtiness. For you will light my lamp, David says in verse 28. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. (laughs) I like that. I like the picture of that, you know. David was empowered by God to go up against many enemies in seemingly impossible situations. Remember in 1 Samuel when David uh, had come upon Saul in the wilderness. And at night, David actually went right down into the camp of Saul where Saul was sleeping in the middle of the camp, surrounded by his troops and by his uh, you know, chief general, And David went right down into the camp and took from him his spear and and a jug of water while Saul was asleep there surrounded by his army. Now You you have to understand that was a a miraculous thing that happened. I think uh, as we're sort of given an explanation of how it happened, it says the Lord had caused a deep sleep to fall upon Saul and his troops. So that none of them woke up. That's a miracle, you see. He trusted in the Lord to save him, and the Lord did. Verse thirty, as for you, as, I'm sorry, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. When I hear some of the weird theology that some people come up with, not just within Christianity, but all the bizarre stuff that people are placing their trust in today. It really reveals just how foolish people can be. Folks, God's Word is proven. It's tried. It's perfect. And if we use it in our life, it will be a shield of protection to us. As Proverbs 30, verses 5 to 6 says, every word of God is pure, He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So, like David, let's trust in the way of God. The Word of God and the shield of God. It's perfect, it's proven, and it will protect us when nothing else will. What else could we want or need? We have the Word of God. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and He sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. If you want stability in your walk, rest in the Lord. If you want your walk uh, to walk on shaky ground, then take your eyes off the Lord. So, again, these are some wonderful words of assurance here. Verse 35, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You know, God could wipe us out if he had a, you know, a hot-headed personality. But, of course, that is not the character of God. The word gentleness speaks of power under control. And that is what God is like. He's not like us flying off at the handle in various situations. But His power is under control. Verse 36, You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them, neither did I turn back again, till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets, he says. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people, You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. Now, you know, on the surface, you may think that this sounds a little vicious on David's part. But you have to remember he's talking about war here. This is war. You know, it was kill or be killed. Conquer or be conquered. You just, you just didn't wound the enemy and, and you know, hope that he would leave you alone. You know That wasn't the way it was. You had to kill him, and you had to make sure he was dead, or else he might come back at you later, or you know, maybe he'd come back at your wife or your husband or your kids, because he's got a vendetta now. You've probably killed somebody in his family. So, this is war. And like one person once said, war is about killing people and breaking things. That's it. Don't expect anything else when you have war. So, David speaks of the victory God gave him over his enemies. Those who were against him did not stand a chance. Why? Well, it's as Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us all right romans eight thirty one you see it is not is God for us, but are we surrendering our life to the lord it's not is God for us, but are we for God you know and if we for god if we're if we're for God then he's for us, no doubt about it, but remember it is it's uh You know, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. It says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. In other words, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. And said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, the question really is, are we for him or are fighting, are we for him or are we fighting against him? David was fighting the battles of the Lord. Uh, And so he couldn't help but be victorious. But when you're out fighting your own battles, you don't have the same uh, guarantees. So let's make sure that we're fighting the Lord's battles and not our own. The Lord lives, verse 46. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. Do you know that song? It is God. Uh, Yeah, there are. (laughs) It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. So David ends with this doxology and these. Praises to God for His deliverance from His enemies. God was David's place of safety and protection. And He wants to be our place of safety and protection too. As we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us because He loves us. And so, this is where our focus should always be. The Lord, the sustainer of our lives. Psalm 19, this is a really a beautiful psalm. It declares and emphasizes the glory of God. God has revealed Himself in two ways to us. General revelation and specific revelation. Both are extremely glorious and both are declared in this psalm. So first, the general revelation. God's general revelation of Himself. Verse 1, the heavens... Well, first of all, to the chief musician, Psalm of David: The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The Bible speaks of three heavens: the place where birds fly, the sky, the universe, and then the place where God dwells. Here, I believe David is looking up at the sextillions of stars that are in the universe and he is absolutely overwhelmed at what God has done in creation. Today we estimate the universe at some 24 billion light years in diameter and it may even be bigger. Every time you turn around they're they're changing their estimates and it keeps getting bigger and bigger, you know. You can't help though, but see God's hand in creating all of this because it didn't just happen by random chance. The universe is so full of order and design that it must have had a designer. No painting was ever made without a painter. No house has ever been built without a builder. No car has ever been assembled without an assembler. And the universe could not have come into existence without a designer and a creator. There is so much handiwork, as David says. The firmament, it says, shows his handiwork. There is so much handiwork that uh, um, there must have been somebody's hands working it out, you see. Certainly, it takes more faith to believe that it all came from nothing and happened by chance. Than to believe a creator and the designer brought it all into existence. He goes on and he says, Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. David is saying that creation itself is crying out that there is a designer, a creator, because you have to you you only have to look and to listen to what they are trying to show you. Each day speaks to us. Each night reveals knowledge to us. Every person, no matter what language they speak or where they live on the earth, can hear what's being said. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 1 tells us that those that suppress the truth that nature is declaring and that God has revealed to them through His creation will be judged accordingly they are without excuse. Paul said because nature testifies of the existence of God. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 23. You know, we often hear people inquire about the tribal warrior in South America or Africa who has never heard of Jesus or the God of the Bible. These verses make it clear that there is enough information just in nature itself in the general revelation to lead this person to the God of the Bible. And there is enough out there that should cause us to want to praise and worship God with all of our hearts. He goes on in the last part of verse 4 there, In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. David can be speaking of two different things in these verses. First, of all the rising and the setting of the sun, how it seems to make a circuit across the sky. But he also could possibly be speaking of the circuit that our sun makes in our galaxy because the sun is not stationary either. It's also moving through the Milky Way galaxy. In natural revelation or general revelation, we can know that there is a God. We can know that there is a God. Now, true, we cannot know what his name is, but we can know that there is a God. That that is only accomplished, that is knowing his name, is only accomplished through the special revelation or that which is revealed to us through the word of God. But with general revelation you can surmise quite a bit about God. Quite a bit. From general revelation, you can know that God is very powerful. Right? Because He created the universe. So He's very powerful. You can also know that He's good and kind. How how can we know that He's good and kind? Because He created a planet that sustains us. And makes us comfortable and provides us with comfort and riches and food. And he takes care of us by providing these things for us. So he's got to be good and kind. If he wasn't good and kind, then he wouldn't have made it essentially so simple for us, right? He wouldn't have placed everything in front of us. Made it relatively easy to grow crops and to raise animals and you know, do, do all the things that we do. So, he's good and he's kind. He's also very intelligent too. He's like really smart. Somebody, I was reading one commentator said he was, he's a genius. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. <laughs> that term is not good enough to describe God. But yes, he is very intelligent. Uh, and another thing, he's faithful. We, we know that from the general revelation. He's faithful. He continues to provide for us every day. He blesses us continually. So, these are all things I think that we can surmise about God just by looking at creation. So, this next section is speaking about what we call the specific revelation. This first section, 1 to 6, was the general revelation, now God's specific uh, revelation. It is probably the most comprehensive section in the Bible that deals with the sufficiency of The Scriptures. So he goes on in verse 7. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Notice that. The word of the Lord converts. It makes wise. It gives joy and enlightens the one who will study and attempt to obey it. For those who would like to deny the sufficiency of the Scriptures, these verses really shoot that down. It's pretty all-inclusive. David says that God's Word is perfect. It's not only perfect, but it converts the soul. Paul said in Romans 10:17, 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God, exactly. Notice that it is not entertainment that builds our faith. But the teaching of the Word of God. And notice what Peter has to say in 1 Peter one twenty three. You don't have to turn there. Here it is. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. And you know, you don't have to be the smartest or the wisest person in the world. In fact, those that profess to be wise are many times nothing more than fools. You see, we have a God that is all wise, and if we obey Him through His Word, it makes us wise too. But to disobey an all knowing God makes us what? Fools. Makes us navels, right? Remember that from last week? (laughs) Okay, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Why is it clean? Because the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, as God hates it, according to Proverbs 8.13. And make no mistake, God will judge this world and those who have rejected Him. And His judgments are true. Verse 9 says, And righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. How precious is the Word of God to you? David is saying that God's Word is more precious than any metal and more satisfying than anything That he could take in. What the world has to offer is empty and limited compared to the full and enduring word of God. Verse 11. Moreover by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward. Where is our reward found? Not just in hearing the word of God but also by keeping the word of God. There are many today who hear what God has to say, and as they leave the church, they just go out and do whatever they want to. You know? Live contrary to what God has said. There's no reward in that. No reward in that. But if you hear the word of God and obey it, the reward for you will be great. It'll be great. Great reward, the passage says. Verse 12 Who can understand his heirs? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Verse 12 talks about those sins that we are sometimes unaware that we have committed. Secret sins, it says there. Uh, It doesn't mean a sin that you've committed secretly so that nobody else knows about it. The secret can be translated hidden or hidden, you know, hidden from me even. I do it, but I don't really realize that I've sinned as I've done it. Sin is a word that means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. And so these unknown sins would be like, you know, sort of having bad aim. You miss the target and, and you know, because of your eyesight, you're not able to see, you know, that you missed the target. what What you hit or didn't hit, whatever the the situation you know, sometimes uh, we commit sins that we may not be aware of, but they are sins nonetheless. The Word of God can reveal these sins to us. Verse 13 speaks of willful, deliberate sins, presumptuous sins it's it's called there. Presumptuous or arrogant or proud sins. Those are sins that are done out in the open and you don't even care what anybody thinks about it. You know what God has said and you go the other way repeatedly. Uh, some people uh, consider these life-dominating sins. It would be like shooting away from the target on purpose. I don't want to hit the target, so I'm going to go shoot over there at the tree. Now, David is asking that God would help him to be victorious over these kinds of sins. Uh, a good prayer for us too. Verse 14. He says, "Let the words of my heart, my mouth." and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David is calling for his actions and his desires to be in line with God's will for his life, which would be pleasing to God. And that will only happen as we saturate ourselves in His Word, asking God's Spirit to teach us the things that we need to know to conform our lives into His image. You see... The more you spend time with him, the more he will be seen in you and the greater impact that you can have on the world around you. Okay, Psalm 20, to the chief musician, the psalm of David. This appears to be a prayer of intercession that is concerned uh, for victory in battle. Many feel the psalm was written prior to David and his men entering into battle. But when you think about it, it can be used really, I think, to help us to prepare for just about any uh, great challenge that we might have, any battle that we might be getting ready to enter into. Uh, Verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob uh, defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept Your burnt sacrifice. May He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. It actually seems like uh, when you read this that this is a a group of people that are praying for David. I think it's his men uh, who are praying for, for their king, that God would protect him and give him the victory as they go into battle under the banner of David, that is, under his leadership. This is the men of of David praying for David. Notice each request. May the Lord answer you, uh, verse 1a. May God defend you, verse 1b. May he send you help, verse 2a. May he strengthen you, 2b. May he remember your sacrifices and offerings, 3 May he give you the desire of your heart for uh, A. May he fulfill all your purpose or plans for B. And he will, you know, if they're God's plans. If our purpose and our plans are God's plans, then he will. Our desire should be his desire because that is what is best for our lives. As Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If your delight is in the Lord and in doing his will, then his desire will be your desire. And may he fulfill all your petitions, verse five. What a wonderful way to pray for your leader. You know? He goes on, now actually verse six begins, I think, the prayers of David. Verses one to five where his his guy's praying for him, and now he's going to begin to pray. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Now, David is encouraged and he is He is trusting totally in the Lord to give them the victory in this battle. It's amazing uh, the weapons of war that nations can gather together. And yet, when you're fighting against God, they don't really amount to anything, do they? The strength of any nation does not come from its military might, but through godly men who seek the Lord. Remember uh, when Elijah was taken up into heaven? Elijah witnessed the thing and and he said, "My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. remember that Kind of a strange thing to say you know when your leader is you know being taken away from you up into heaven, but that's what he my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. and when Elijah was on his deathbed, Joash, king of Israel, came to see him and spoke the same words. To Elisha, that Elisha had spoken to Elijah. Why do you suppose that is? I think because these men of God were the strength of the nation. Not the nation's military might, but these men of God. So when when Elisha called out to Elijah and he said, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen, he was saying that Elijah was that. Elijah was the chariot of God and its horsemen. It was because of the godliness of Elijah that the nation was safe. And I think that is what will make this nation strong and great. People who trust in the Lord and who are seeking direction from Him. Psalm 20, verse 7, again, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's what we need to do as a nation if the tide is ever going to turn back in our favor. Psalm 21, to the chief musician, the psalm of David. This is the psalm of praise to God after being victorious in battle. Psalm 20 was a prayer going into battle. And Psalm 21 is the rejoicing after the battle. As they came home in victory, singing praises to God. This is really something I think that we need to remember to do. Sometimes life you know, seems to deal us nothing but a bunch of problems. And it seems like a battle as you often spend a great deal of your time fighting these battles. And so you have to remember to ask God for his help and his wisdom in correcting the problem. What's neat is he always comes through one way or another may not always be the way we expected, but He always comes through. But then I need to remember to praise Him for it. We all need to do this. So, David rejoices and relies on God. He starts off in verse 1. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Again, no mention of military weapons here. Only the Lord... And his strength, which has given them the victory, God is the one who strengthens us. Do you rejoice in God's strength? Boy, I sure do. Verse two: You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lip. Lips. The prayer in Psalm twenty was that God would give David his heart's desire, and now he says that prayer has been answered. You've given him his heart's desire. Verse three. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. God protected David in battle and preserved his life. But you know what we also see here? Uh, resurrection life. David is also referring to resurrection life that is only found in Jesus Christ. David knew that the life that he had was eternal life. See that? See that? Length of days forever and ever. What is that? That's eternal life, right? David knew that he had eternal life. And that caused him to rejoice even more. At the same time, it was a promise of the Messiah coming through David. Another way in which David's life would be extended would be through his descendants after him continuing to sit on the throne. And the final descendant of David To sit on the throne forever would be the Messiah or the Christ. He goes on in verse 5. His glory is great in your strength. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So, so here in verse 7 we find the underlying reason for David's great military victories. The king trusts in the Lord. And because he trusts in the Lord, he says, he will not be moved. And certainly when we trust in the Lord, we get the same result. We will not be moved. Verse 8, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in His wrath and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men for they intended evil against you. They plotted; uh, they devised a plot in which they were not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. What we're seeing in this section is the people's confidence that since God had given David the victory in the past, surely he will continue to do so in the future. Whatever enemies David might have had in the surrounding nations or in his own, God would see to it that these enemies would be defeated. And again, the same will be true for us. What enemies am I talking about? Well, how about the spiritual forces of darkness that are bent on our destruction? And if not our destruction, then at least our sterilization so that we'll be useless in the kingdom of God. How does the enemy sterilize us? Well, by getting us to be more interested in the things of this world than the things of God. That's one way. Or getting us to focus on the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. By getting us to buy into the philosophy that attaining my own happiness first is a prerequisite for being able to help others. How do we overcome these enemies? Well, I think Jesus said it best in Matthew 16:24. He said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life For my sake we'll find it. This is how we defeat the enemies of self and the forces of darkness. By giving up our own rights and lives and by seeking only to do what God's will is for us. When we do this, our enemies don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. And when our enemies are defeated, we should be desirous of praising God all the more. Be exalted, O Lord, in Your own strength. We will sing and praise Your power. You know what? I think we'll stop right there. Psalm 22 is a little bit longer and it's got a lot of good stuff there. So, uh, let's, let's finish here with Psalm 21. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace, Lord. We thank You for these wonderful lessons that we have learned tonight. We thank You for Your great power. We thank You that that You are the God who protects us and helps us to overcome in our time of need. Just as You helped David, I know, Lord, that as we trust in You, You will help us too. Your Word, Lord, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's perfect and it has everything that we need to know how to live for You and to be victorious in this life. So, Lord, may we stay focused on Your Word. May we stay focused on You. And we look forward to the victory that we will enjoy each and every day when we do. In Jesus' name, Amen.